0: cover the topic this morning in this series on the church of the pastor. And um, I'm going to take us to the book of Acts chapter 20. I'm going to uh, read this text or a portion of this text for us from verse number 28 down through verse number 38. And uh, we'll read that together and, uh, and then afterwards I want to give you the context of what is taking place here and then give us a challenge from the word of God this morning on the role of the pastor. And so if you're there in uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28, and you would like to join me, let's stand together and read the Word of God uh, this morning in verse number 28 down through 38. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, and to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember, that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down, And prayed with them all. They all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Would you pray with me this morning as we begin? Father, we ask you again this morning to take the word of God and apply it to our hearts. Father, we are needy people. Uh, Lord, we are weak strong or this morning many in our congregation are under the weather recovering from surgery uh, some are even recovering still from the virus and or we ask you father that you would give healing to them or thank you for the reminder and song this morning that you are the healer and Lord, we ask you this morning that you would give comfort to those that are hurting or may we as a church family as we gather around this text and we put our mind to this text this morning May our hearts be stirred, may our eyes be opened, Uh, may we see a path forward as we go forward for your glory, and we understand uh, maybe a little clearer the role of the pastor, the role of the elder, the bishop, and we'll just praise you for what you're doing and what you've done already in our church, in the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen, you can be seated there. I would like for you to keep your Bibles open this morning and uh, to look at the text with me as we walk through it. We will do our best to expound the majority of this these 10 verses here this morning. And if we get through all of them, um, I think we'll get a little picture of what's taking place. But is an important context of what's going on. The Apostle Paul is in his second missionary journey here. He's traveling and confirming the churches. The gospel is spreading. Um, it is a really an amazing thing to trace the history of what's taking place here. Um, You remember the story of Eutychus and how he fell out of the window and uh, Paul raised him from the dead, that's in this very chapter. And then Paul travels on to another place and we see his travelings are moving rather quickly by the time we reach this passage of Scripture. But in verse 17 of this chapter, the Bible gives us the context of what we're in here he comes from Miletus, He sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And so Paul has called the elders of the church at Ephesus with him. I think it's interesting here we see uh, elders being called from this church at Ephesus. They're called into a pastor's conference. And I like that picture there. And I was thinking just this week that we, the first time I ever went to a pastor's conference and uh, was when I was 12 years of age. And my dad called me aside, he said, Mike, I'm going to take you out of school next week, and we're going to go off to a pastor's conference with your your mom and I. And at the 12 years of age, uh, God called me into gospel ministry that week, and uh, sitting there with uh, many pastors who had been pastoring longer than I had been alive, and yet God called me there. And here we see a picture of Paul, this uh, leader, this apostolic authority that he had on his life. The one who was a mentor of these men is calling them together. And I think what you need to understand, too, in the context of this, this is not a a scolding of these men. But this is Paul who has walked with these men already and had loved these men. And, yea, even many of these men, Paul was directly responsible for them believing the gospel. And he calls these men who are now elders to him to give them some instruction and in verses uh, 18 through 27, he gives a bit of history of his ministry, and I'll leave that to you for your homework. But then when finally get down to verse number 28, Paul comes out with some pretty strong instruction to these elders specifically. And from that, I want to glean uh, what I believe uh, Paul bears out in his epistles later on of the role of the pastor and what the importance of that is. Now before we get into that, let me point out again that we see the interchangeable terms again in this text that I pointed out to you last week. The role of pastor is both elder, pastor, bishop. Uh, We talked about the role of a bishop being the overseer. It's that presbyteros is the word we see here. And it's the overseer, the one who takes the oversight of the church and looks out over the church. And then the word pastor meaning shepherd, elder meaning wise leader or wise counselor. And we see in verse number 17 that he calls the elders, and then in verse 28 we see the other two terms played out in front of us. And he says, take heed therefore unto yourself to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. And again, who hath made you bishops. It's the same word that Timothy uses here. And he says, to feed the church of God. Literally this command is to shepherd the church of God. We could take the the, the word shepherd, and some of your translations very well do that, where they take the word, and it's not feed, but it is shepherd, or to care for the flock of God, and that the church of God is seen as his flock. It is seen as the one that are underneath this shepherding that Paul is commissioning these men to do. I want you to see the first admonition in this text in verse number 28. He says, take heed, therefore, unto yourself. The first admonition that a pastor has given here is to take heed to himself. And let me say again, as the role of a pastor, the greatest responsibility is for the walk with God to be real. Here's the thing, we cannot have a walk with God that is just a public walk with God. If there's not a private walk with God, then there will be no public fruit in that ministry. He said, I want you to take heed to yourself. And that admonition is echoed to pastors, and I would echo it to any man who is pastoring or has aspiration to stand in the role of pastor. Take heed to yourself. Take heed to what God has called you to do. Walk in this role with seriousness. And 1 Timothy 4.16 reminds us of that admonition that we're to take heed of ourselves, and if we guard ourselves, then we can give fruit to those that are around us as well. He says, take heed to yourself, but then he says, take heed to all the flock of God, and look what he says here, I want you to look at the wording of it, take heed therefore unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. He didn't say some of the flock, he didn't say the flock that you like, he said take heed to all the flock. That means the role of a pastor is not just to look out of the congregation and figure out the ones that he enjoys being around, and minister to them, and ignore the rest, but there's a role to minister to all the flock that God has given us. And by the way, God hasn't put every pastor over every flock. He's given certain pastors the role of pastoring a certain flock. And I think a mistake we can make is we can start coveting after a flock that God hasn't given us instead of pastoring the flock that God has given us. And the reality of the fact is is anything you could lament, a pastor could lament about his flock, every other flock has the same problem. And we too often would look, and it, we, are, we as pastors can be guilty of looking over the fence and saying, man, the grass is greener over there, or that flock looks nicer over there, or man, those, those sheep over there are really well behaved. I wish I was pastoring those sheep. They're not as stubborn as my sheep. And that's not what God had called these pastors to do. He said, I want you to take heed to the flock that is in front of you, the one God's given you to pastor, all the flock of God. So it's an inclusive command. It was a specific command to shepherd their flock. And, of course, we see the image of Shepherd as a pastor in front of us here again. But I want you to see where the authority comes from. Whom the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. He said, I want you to take heed to this flock because the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. I think that's very interesting. Paul did not say, who I made you overseers. It was not apostolic authority that had placed these men in the role of elder, pastor, bishop. It was the Holy Spirit that had placed them there. It was the Holy Spirit that had guided them. And Paul understood that human agents do work in placing people into roles that they fill in. But ultimately, we believe those human agents are moved by the Holy Spirit of God. And though a church may affirm the fact that, yes, this is the pastor that God has called, understanding that the vote of a church is generally after what God has already done. God makes a move and the church affirms what God is doing. And we say, yes, we believe this is what God is doing. And here we see Paul saying, it is not me that has made you the overseers. It is not the church that made you the overseers. It was not a convention somewhere that made you overseers. And it was not your mom and dad that made you an overseer. This was a calling that came from the Holy Spirit to these men to stand in this responsibility. Now, I believe in strongly, and I think very wisely, that there be accountability. And accountability within a church, a pastor has an accountability to his, uh, to his members, he has an accountability to the leadership of that church, he has an accountability to his family, all of those things are necessary accountability, and those things are very, very important that they be in the church, but understanding that ultimately the greatest accountability that any pastor will ever have is to Almighty God that one day he will stand before and will give an account for what he's done. And as we stand this morning, may it be that thing that stirs my heart and stirs the church's heart to understand that we are going to give an account for God for how we fill the role that we're standing in. He said the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. God has appointed them to this work. I want you to see the word overseer as interchanging here with that word shepherd And he's putting these words together. This is not a mistake. Understanding this is written under the inspiration of the Spirit of God to us for instruction. He said, I want you to do this. He said, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. To feed the church of God. That word feed here literally means shepherd. And I did a little word study of that word feed, and in Matthew chapter number 2, and I want you to see this, if you want to turn there, you can, but in Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 6, we find this word used of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 2 and in verse number 6, and here's what he talks about, and it's a prophetic wording here, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah, art thou not least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. That word rule is the same word as feed. Because the word here is to care for the flock of God. Literally you could translate this text in Matthew chapter 2 that will shepherd my people Israel. That will shepherd my people. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ came to do. He came to be the shepherd. And we understand through all of the New Testament when you place it all together that Jesus Christ is the shepherd of the church. And we have under-shepherds that labor for the shepherd. He said, I want you to feed the flock of God, or I want you to shepherd the church of God. We shepherd both ourselves and the church. It is the word of God that we feed the church with. We have no other source to feed the church with. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy 4 and 2, what is the commission that Paul gives Timothy? Preach the word. Be it instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And the command, again, is to feed the people with the Word of God. We don't have the, 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 the latitude to bring out man's wisdom or our opinions. We simply take the Word of God and feed the people or the flock of God the Word of God. We bring that to them regularly, and so it is the Word of God. I think it's also interesting here as he goes down to, to lay these words one upon another. And Paul, in this almost epistle-like text that we have here in front of us this morning as he's teaching these pastors he's teaching these elders he said feed the flock of god of which the holy spirit hath made you overseers and he says this and i want to i want to turn back to it so i can read it directly for you which he hath purchased with his own blood which he hath purchased with his own blood and so what do we see here the word purchase the word purchase is rescued uh, as a possession of He has rescued us. He has bought us back. It's the picture of a slave auction that he purchased me from to save me to himself that I was condemned and I was away from him and he's redeemed Him, us to himself. He has called out a group of people that he's purchased with his own blood and he is now saying to a frail human man who he, his Holy Spirit, has made an overseer, he's saying, hey, I want you to feed the church of God that I purchased with my own blood. Paul is trying to give them the heaviness of the stewardship that they are about to take on. He wants them to understand the weightiness behind it. That this is not something that is, that is to be taken lightly or glibly. No, these are the ones that God hath purchased and called to himself with his own blood. And he's saying, now I'm asking you to feed them. It's the same commission that the Lord gave Peter when he stood there by the, by the, by the, by the sea after his denial and the Lord's resurrection. And we mentioned it last week. Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Yea, Lord, you know I love thee. And three times he said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He's saying they are my sheep. Feed them. Care for them. You see, the church is not mine to do as I please but to follow his leading and his word. Church doesn't belong to a pastor. Church doesn't belong to a people. I have a a quote here from a wonderful book, Ministers as Shepherds by Charles Jefferson. Charles Jefferson lived in the 1800s and into the early 1900s before the Lord took him home. But I want to read a quote from his book. And he said this, The ministers speak of his church, his people, his parish, and he said, now, if we're referring, and I'm going to paraphrase him just for a second, if we're trying to distinguish between, well, this is the church I pastor, and that's the church you pastor, finding good. And he said, but the human shepherd, um, ultimately, all churches belong to Christ. All churches belong to Christ. And here's the way he says about it. He said, the human shepherds come and go in continuous procession. A minister arrives in town, unpacks his books, does his work, And then sleeps with his fathers. As Job says, he cometh up and is cut down like a flower. He fleeth as it were shadow and never continueth in one stay. But Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is with his people and will never leave them nor forsake them even to the end of the world. And so Jefferson reminds us here in this text, that he reminding us of this text, that the church is ultimately belongs to Christ, that under-shepherds come and go, but Christ is the great shepherd, and we look to him as our leadership, and any under-shepherd that is not pointing us to the shepherd is failing to feed the flock of God. He goes on down to remind us again that all shepherds belong to him. He said, if we are to feed the flock of God that Christ has made us overseers, then we are to be saying, follow me, follow the shepherd. Remember his gentleness, his watchfulness, his considerateness, his patience, his compassion, his readiness to help, his swiftness to heal, his gladness to sacrifice. Be the kind of shepherd to my lambs and my sheep if I have been to you. See, the call to shepherd is a call to follow him as he shepherds. And so he says then, I want you to feed the flock of God, of whom the Lord, hath, or the Holy Spirit, has made you overseers. Peter, after the resurrection, we have pointed out that his great commission was to feed the flock of God. Now, the role of feeding the flock is an important role and a necessary role, but then he warns them in verse number 29, why is it so necessary that the purchased church of Christ... Be fed quality food. Why is it necessary that the church know the word of God? Why is it necessary that the church be able to open the word of God and argue these points? Because in verse number 29, he gives us the warning. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. He goes, there will be opposition from without that will come in and do their best. Here he's calling these wolves the outside attack. In staying with the image of a shepherd as a shepherd would ward off wolves, that would come in and take the flock and devour them for his own personal gain. I think too often when we look at the oversight and the protection of a pastor, some we could almost get nervous about the fact that we say, well, a shepherd is supposed to lead and a shepherd is supposed to oversee and a shepherd is supposed to feed, and we can get nervous about that. And let me say this very clearly, there are potential dangers. Because we understand that not only can there come attacks without, but he says in the very next verse, in verse number 30, And also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. There can be dangers from without and there are dangers from within. And that's why it is so important that the people in the pew are fed the word of God so they know when the dangers is approaching and there will be some that would guard that and be set up as shepherds protecting from the wolves but the people would also be well fed to know when that is taking place. Here again we're reminded that these wolves would come in not sparing the flock. He said in among you These would come in and hide themselves. This personal hunger of the wolves was trumping the needs of the flock. The personal desires of those that were wolves. Wolves see the the flock. They scatter the flock. They devour the flock. They consume what is not theirs for their own lusts. They do what they desire and they have no concern for the flock. And let me say this, the heart of the shepherd should be first and foremost connected to the heart of the shepherd, and his heart is for the flock of God. And here's the wonderful thing about the shepherd that is the over-shepherd and the under-shepherd is that he's going to love the church of God more than any under-shepherd ever would. And so let us have our heart connected to him. You see, the church is not the pastor's bride, it's Christ's bride. The church is not my flock, it's his flock. And too often, we're doing exactly what verse number 30 says. He said they were drawing away disciples after them. You want to see one of the greatest signs of cultish behavior is when disciples are called to a man and not called to Christ. It's when we would call men to follow men with an allegiance that it should only be reserved for the Lord Jesus Christ. He said many will come in from the outside. And he said, of your own selves, they will also come in. I've entitled this mutton-loving shepherds. Mutton-loving shepherds. They want to come in and they want to devour the sheep. They feed them a poor diet. They teach them perverse things. They're seeking the preeminence. I think Diotrephes is one of these. We read about him in Third John. I think he was a man that sought the preeminence among the sheep and wanted the, the, the attention and the preeminence to draw away disciples after them, selfish promotion. They wanted to hold on, and his selfish promotion was the goal of these devourers of the flock. Personal promotion, personal perversions, personal doctrines. Let me just challenge this again. There's nothing new under the sun And Alistair Begg once in his teaching to pastors, he said, if you ever hear a pastor preach and you get done with the message, and you're like, man, how do you get that out of that text? It's probably because he put it in there before he started preaching. Um, Because if it's not in the text, then we don't need to be taking it from the text. And the preacher of the Word of God ought to be preaching the Word of God, not his opinions about the Word of God. I challenge us that the sermons that we preach from the pulpit of Shelby Bible Church would be so connected to the Word of God that we understand that when the Word of God is preached, the voice of God is heard. And that we preach it faithfully. See, so far the attitude of these false teachers is to feed the flock of God. Uh, Know when you've been given your role in ministry, these men have abandoned their role, they've abandoned their responsibility. One of the hardest parts of ministry is to see your warnings go unheeded when you've done your duty and those still stray. Paul tells him some of you are going to go away. Some of you are going to become uh, backbiters, Some of you are going to become sheep devourers, rather. And so in verse number 31, he says, I want you to watch and remember how I behaved. He said, I want you to remember the substance of my warnings. I want you to see the passion of my warnings. He said he was night and day with tears. Night and day with tears, I've warned you. I've labored long. It's the consistency of my warning. Three and di- three years now he's labored here, and he's poured over these people and invested in them, and he's begging them to remember how he shepherded and how he watched. But I love this, and when we come down to the end of this whole thing. Paul I think fills this great weight and I, I wish I could give you the whole historical context but Paul is on his journey to uh, to go to Rome and he's going to go there to preach the gospel. He's heading to Jerusalem now It will end up in Rome to preach the gospel and as he's going through this journey he has no intention to return to these churches anymore and he has this great sense of, of, of responsibility of communicating to these elders of the role that they have in front of them and he's challenging them here, and as he's laying this on them, he, he wants them to get it all. And I can almost sense the sense of like, have you listened to what I've said? Have you have you taken heart to what I've said? And and too often I think I can come to the pulpit with a with a heart that is heavy, and I really I want to make sure it's understood and I make sure that it's gotten. If we're not careful, we can put all the weight on ourselves to communicate it. But I'm glad this morning, according to verse number 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Paul says, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna commend you to God because he's the one that cares for you and I'm gonna commend you to his word because his word is the one that's able to do what? And look what he tells us, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Paul didn't say, hey, look, I'm the one that's able to build you up. I'm the one that's able to give you an inheritance. No, I'm committing you to God who is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. And so when the preaching is done and another sermon is in the books and another week is in the book, and it seems like, and Pastor Caleb, you and I were talking about it just a few weeks ago, uh, how you, you prepare all week to preach the message, and you get up and you share the message, and then it's done. And has it been accomplished? And then Monday morning comes around, and it's time to prepare again. And then Sunday you'll be here before you know it, and you preach it, and it's done. And you wonder, is it making any impact? And here's the thing, it's not my job to make sure it makes an impact. It's my job to faithfully feed the flock of God with the thing that can make an impact, and that is the Word of God, because I commend you to God and to His Word, who is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those that are sanctified. That's the hope that we can go in on a weekly and, and yearly basis of continuing to preach the word of God and not, maybe not always seeing the impact you wanted to be seen, but Paul, he stands back and he says, here's the thing, God started the work I did, and God will finish the work I won't. And he's trusting God to do that. You see, Paul's ministry hope did not rest in his own passion or his ability to reason, but on the power of God the effectiveness of the word of God to do what Paul could not do, and that was build people up, give them an inheritance, and join them uh, and set them apart for the purpose of ministry that they were called to. Paul's personal testimony is in verse number 33. He will not belabor that point, but he talks in how he had not coveted men's things, that he had labored long hours, he had poured himself into the work, Verse 35, he commends them to follow his example. He said, I've showed you all things how that, so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. He said, I've rejected covetousness. I've embraced hard work. I've supported the weak. Men, be givers, not takers. Warren Wearsby says it is better to share with others than to keep what you have and collect more. Too often we hold on, and that is a selfish thing. We ought to be pouring out. And here he admonishes them, I want you to follow the example that you've seen in me. I think some of my favorite parts of this text is the tender departure. The effect of the shepherd on the hearts of the people is so evident in this text. Look what he says in verse number 36. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. What a picture. Can you imagine this group of pastors, many of which Paul had won? This group of men who Paul had trained personally for gospel ministry. And they're gathered there in this, probably an open air area or maybe in someone's upper room. And Paul has laid this discourse out in front of them and no doubt many other words were shared than what we have recorded this morning. And he said, hey guys, let's all gather around, let's pray. And they all knelt down and they began to pray. I don't know what words they prayed, I don't know what was said in that prayer meeting, but there was a prayer meeting that followed. And then verse number 37, and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. It was a beautiful and a tender relationship that he had with those that he had mentored. You know, and one of the things that I have just so enjoyed listening and reading to is a few weeks ago, we sent out a survey to all of our growth group leaders. And we asked them, hey, what's going well? What could we improve on? Uh, What are some ideas you have for going forward? And we shared those with our growth group leaders and they responded. And almost every survey said, the thing I have enjoyed the most is getting to know the people in our group and getting to know them better and know who they are. And then I've watched around the, the, the hallways of the church of seeing people that before did not know one another stopping and sharing a word or talking with one another and connected. And what do we see happening? We see pastoring happening. We see shepherding happening we see heart connections taking place as God's people get to know one another and there is a heart connection and and I think it ought to be something that is just like we picture here that sometimes God's will does have us part ways and sometimes God's will does have us go in different geographical locations and labor but there ought to be a tearing of our heart because of the relationships that have been developed That there is a heart connection with what's going on. And they fell on Paul's neck and they wept. The idea is they kneeled down with them all. And this is a prolonged goodbye. They wept and kissed and kept on kissing and weeping. They kept on saying goodbye. This week we got to drive to Chicago and pick up my daughter for for the holidays. And she's going to be with us for a few months. Um, But... I went to pick her up and I had to wait outside the dorm room and I stood there right by the dorm room where we said goodbye to her just a few weeks ago and a few months ago now. And That day when we said goodbye, it was a tearful mess to say the least. And words were never enough and tears flowed and our hearts were torn and though we knew that she was doing a good thing and this was a natural thing, our hearts were still torn by it. And that's exactly what we picture. With the heart connection of these men as they're saying goodbye to this mentor of saying, hey, we know this is God's will and we know it's a good thing. And yet our hearts are so heavy. And why were their hearts heavy? They weren't heavy over the fact that wolves were going to come in and or that some would turn away. But they grieved the most because he said, I'll see your face no more they were grieved over that loss of relationship and let me say this i think there ought to be a heart connection between the pastor and the people where there is a there's weeping when goodbyes are given there's a heaviness to what's going on they sorrow with human affection i think the picture here is they went as far as they could and they watched paul ride off into the distance They looked at verse number one of chapter 21, and it came to pass that after when they had gotten from them, they launched. And that's just an interesting way that the King James word they had gotten from them. It was like they had a hard time getting away. I think those were standing there, and I think they stood in the distance, and they watched Paul go out of sight. And they waved, and they rejoiced. You know, here's the thing, I think, as we look at the role of the pastor, the primary role, we saw it last week. Give yourself to the word and prayer. Give yourself to the Word and prayer because what is the admonition here? Take the oversight, feed the flock of God. Take the oversight, feed the flock of God. And these commissions come together. God, give us a tenderness in the work we do. Give us a seriousness of the work we do. God, give us a passion and a longevity to the work we do. And I'll close with this personal illustration, but when I completed 10 years of ministry, um, and uh, we are now in our 19th year of pastoral ministry, but when I finished 10 years of pastoral ministry, I, I called my dad on the phone, and, and I said, Dad, I just wanted to call you and just say thank you for your influence. Today marks 10 years of going into ministry. And I said, you know, Dad, when I started 10 years ago, I thought to myself, Here's what I want to do, and I had a list of dreams of all that I wanted to see happen. I want to build this size church, and I want to maybe start a Christian school, and I want to see this mission's work done and this done and all of these big things. And a lot of those things are not bad things to dream for. But I think a lot of those things were wrapped up in Mike Montgomery and not wrapped up in God's call. And I said, here's the thing that I want to shoot for. I want to stay faithful to the Lord who called me. I want to keep preaching the book that he gave me. I want to love the wife he gave me and hear him say, well done, when I get home. It doesn't mean that we won't shoot for big things. It doesn't mean I don't want to see God do great things. But it does mean that ultimately God has to do great things. It's not human ambition that does it. The role that God has called us to is to feed the flock of God. The Holy Spirit hath made you overseers. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, we are so thankful that we have the opportunity to open the Word of God together. That, Father, we have the opportunity to preach to your people that are so willing to hear and listen and receive. And what I pray, Father, that what is said this morning would um, resonate into our hearts, would settle down well, and would become a part of even our DNA of understanding the relational side of the calling side and the work side of what it means to to be an under-shepherd. Father, thank you for our team here. Thank you for those that labor to make all this possible. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask you.